Back Nine Boys Golf Show is brought to you by Mizuno Golf. Nothing feels like Mizuno by Seapalms. Enter the benefits of being a member at seapalms.com. By RSM, proud sponsor of the RSM Classic, giving back to our community. By Club Car, the ultimate utility and personal vehicle. And by Bridgestone, get fitted for the new Tour B ball. On the show today, we're going to talk with Jeremy Fryman, of Director of Junior Golf at the Georgia State Golf Association. And we'll talk with Rick Sessinghouse, who is Colin Marikawa's coach, about his philosophy and his teaching style, and a little bit about Colin. And then finally, we'll talk with former caddy for Matt Kuchar and a couple of others, now an NBC golf announcer, John Wood, about caddying at the Masters and how, when he did caddy, did they maneuver Augusta National. But first up is Jeremy Fryman, Director of Junior Golf at Georgia State Golf Association. Good morning, Jeremy, and welcome to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Good morning, Rich. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to have you and anybody from the Georgia State Golf Association. So over the last couple of years, and I know junior golf is one of your specialties, that junior golf program all over just seems to be growing at an incredible speed. Absolutely. Like anything in golf right now, uh, junior golf seems to be <clears throat> hitting the ground running the last uh, few years especially, but we've seen a lot of growth at the, at the GSGA uh, as well. Um, we actually, um, for those who may be familiar, we, uh, we absorbed the uh, Atlanta Junior Golf Association back in 2016, uh, combined it with the existing junior sectional program at the GSGA, and uh, created one statewide junior golf program that we rebranded to the GSGA Junior Tour in 2019. So we had a record number of uh, members last year on our Junior Tour, just over 1,300 members. Um, and we've, uh, we've, we conduct about 130 events a year uh, for those juniors statewide. Um, and, and, yeah, we've, we've seen uh, a lot of excitement around junior golf. Uh, the golf industry in general uh, has seen a lot of excitement the last uh, few years, as you know. Yeah, and how has that grown, Jeremy, from, you know, when, when you first started handling junior golf as the director? How has that grown since you've been on board with GSGA? Yeah, we've added um, some different programming. Uh, we have uh, a series of girls-only events right now. We've added some uh, team-style events where um, – We've, we've got, uh, you know, a parent-junior-type format event, but we've also got a junior-junior-type format where they're playing, you know, alternate shot. Um, so we've added some different programming to get, to get kids involved who may not uh, necessarily want to play uh, in a more competitive setting or aren't quite ready to do that yet. Um, we've also got, you know, our version of the drive, chip, and putt uh, championship, which has been a great, uh, addition to junior golf and a great entry point for young golfers. Obviously, we had the uh, championship out at Augusta National last uh, weekend, which was exciting. But that's uh, our version is the Skills Challenge Series, and we do a chip, a pitch, and a putt. We don't do a drive, and we have uh, eight qualifiers throughout the, the state uh, during the year. And the, the carrot at the end of uh, the string for that is those kids who qualify get to go out the morning of the tour championship out at East Lake Golf Club and uh, compete out there that morning and then spend the day uh, for the final round out there at East Lake uh, with their families. So um, we've, we've grown. Um, 
by about probably 300 members or so. Wow. I uh, time here at the GSGA in just over four years. Um, and I think, uh, you know, people are, are excited, obviously, and we try to keep the programming there. We try to make it accessible, make it affordable uh, for, for junior golfers all throughout the state. So it's, it's been exciting to watch. Yeah, it is exciting to watch, to participate, and to be involved in the program. So how do juniors sign up for these events with the GSGA? Absolutely, yeah. We have our own website that is uh, georgiajuniorgolf.org. Uh, that's Georgia spelled out. Once again, georgiajuniorgolf.org. You can see our full year schedule. Uh, we have options, uh, different membership options. Uh, we have events for any type of skill level. <clears throat> a great uh, entry point, you know, are our beginner events. Uh, we, we get a lot of juniors that come to us who have played other sports and want to switch over to golf. They're, they're interested in it. Um, and the beginner level is a great fit for them where it's a non-competitive level generally played on par three courses or shortened tees from the fairways, just a basic introduction to, uh, to golf, playing in a group, keeping score for another player and yourself, learning the rules a little bit more. Um, and then that skills challenge series is another great entry point. That's for five to 13 year olds, but our beginner level has no age cap on it. We cater to five to 18 year olds. Okay. Um, we have intermediate events, advanced events, and all different types of membership levels as well. And we even let non-members play. Um, so maybe if it's something you wanted to try out this year, a couple of events, you can do so as a non-member and then come on board next year if you get the itch. Well, one of the things that I loved about the information about the junior golf program is that you also, also have, and you mentioned it briefly, the financial assistance program, uh, which I think is just great for uh, some of these families uh, that are in that situation. We do, and thank you for, for asking about that. We do uh, offer a financial assistance program, which is based upon financial need. Um, there's some uh, information that you need to submit to us, and then we're able to, to award a certain level of discount off our tournament and membership uh, entry fees um, just to make that uh, program even more accessible to junior golfers. Uh, we like to think that our, our pricing is, uh, on the lower end of, of the scale, um, and we try it. We work really hard to keep it there um, as well. But if uh, that extra assistance is needed, it's available to any of our any of our members. Yeah, I think that is just a big part of of what you can do to help in the community. Uh, Jeremy, I thank you for being with us on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, and uh, thank you all from the GSGA for doing more for junior golf. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. Thanks again for having me. All right. You're welcome. Jeremy Fryman of the Georgia State Golf Association. He is the director of the junior programs, and uh, it's just great what they're doing. They've grown quite a bit, and uh, they even have a financial assistance program. So check them out at the Georgia State Golf Association. Um, our next guest is Rick Sessinghouse. He is the swing coach for Colin Marakawa. Uh, I talked with Rick about his programs, and we'll talk with him in just a second. But if you're looking for new clubs, why don't you try the new Mizunos 922, 923 to improve your game. These new Mizuno irons will help you reach beyond. And that, to that, the Mizuno driver, fairway metals, hybrids, and you're on the way to a complete game improvement. 
Try the new models of the Mizuno putters. They have mallets and blades, so check those out. But check out everything at MizunoGolf.com. Mizuno Golf, reach beyond. Hello, my name is Augustine Pisa. I am a golf course architect, and you're listening to the Back Nine Board. And welcome back. Uh, Augie is uh, going to be designing a golf course with Brandel Chambly. Uh, should be a great course, and once they get closer to that, we'll have him and Brandel back on. Our next guest is Rick Sessinghouse, swing coach for Colin Marikawa. I had a chance to talk to Rick prior to him going to Augusta and helping Colin out, and we talked about his many roles and his teaching philosophy. I started in the coaching business uh, as a member of the PGA back 27 years ago, and I was more of a traditional golf instructor where I'm, I'm fixing slices and working on chipping and putting. And as I kept going along, I found there was a disconnect with my students is that in a lesson, they were doing well. We would make some changes, and then they would come back a couple weeks later and say, uh, Rick, my scores haven't gotten any lower. <laughs> and I was always intrigued with, you know, we can make mechanics look good in the moment, um, and give them some drills and sort of, sort of things like that. But I wasn't seeing it transfer onto the golf course as much as I thought it would or should. And so I was intrigued with the mental side of the game, um, one for my own game when I played in college and stuff. So I went back to school and, and, and got a doctorate in applied sports psychology, and I started really going down the rabbit hole of performance psychology, of what makes the difference between why some people perform better under pressure and some worse. And, and so I just kept going down that. I was still a swing coach, but I, I really liked working with competitive juniors and college players and I've done some stuff in the corporate arena with, with uh, performance under pressure. And so that's kind of where Perform for Success came from. It's just this idea that we're always performing. And there are certain skills and traits that uh, I believe the best of the best do. And, you know, in the golf, um, I've certainly done a lot with uh, the mental game of, of golf and how we can get somebody in a better state to play golf, uh, the focus, the confidence, emotion. So that's kind of where it came from is, some of for my own game, but a lot for just, I just wasn't seeing some skill sets transfer uh, with some of my students. Well, we definitely want to talk about some of the pros that you work with, including Colin, but from an amateur standpoint, um, I have found that sometimes when I play, the mental aspects is what goes away first, and you end up struggling to wonder what has happened to the guy that four or five holes ago was even par and is now seven over par. No question, right? And I think at first when we're learning the game, and even if we've played it a few years, we look at results as purely a, a physical skills issue. So I make a double bogey. That must mean I made a bad swing. I need to keep working on my swing. Right. And there's certainly truth to that. Of course, um, the ball goes where the club tells it to go. Totally get that. Yet I believe that the state I'm in over the ball will affect my swing. So if I'm confident and calm, relaxed and focused, my golf swing is probably going to be closer to an optimal uh, level. But if I am distracted, I have doubt, I have fear, my body will respond differently. Maybe it's tension in my grip. Maybe it's my, I get a little quicker with my, uh, my tempo. I, I can't expect my swing to be the same. And I, I don't think people are enough self-aware to know when their state changes but certainly when it starts going bad, they're going to still blame their swing, and then the frustration ensues. And the more frustration, the worse it gets, and now we're down a 
a pretty poor cycle when it comes to that. So I'm looking at certainly using routines, pre-shot routines, post-shot routines to help people be aware of their state, manage their state, and, of course, would like them to be in an optimal state um, through some of the things they do in their routine. Okay, so optimal state, obviously, we're not thinking about it as much as we were before. We've got our swing down. It's, things are working out great. But when we get out of that mental state, how do we get back into it during the same round? Sure. So I utilize something called a post-shot routine, which not many people have heard about or utilize, is once the shot has been struck, um, how do we respond to that? Now, again, I'm, I'm back in the day, I, I would hit a shot into the trees, and I would get, I won't gloss over this, I'd be <laughs> mad. <laughs> and I would slam a club down, and I would say a few choice words, and I would right. be self-critical of myself. And unfortunately, what happened is that that spikes uh, a negative um, an unresourceful emotion, which now affects my next shot. Right. So now, if I still hit that same shot into the trees on the left, I want to know why. I go, huh, that's not the shot I wanted. Not what I wanted at all. I wonder why it went left. Was it a mental error or a physical error? Now, most people, again, are just going to go, well, it was a physical error, Rick. The club face was closed and the ball went left because it was a swing. I get that. But how many times have we hit a shot left because – there was water on the right that we went into yesterday, and our last thought was, don't go right. right. And that thought now creates a stress response, and now I get a little quicker. So I want to be able to go, huh, I wonder why it went left. Was I committed to the shot, which is my easiest way to describe mentally, was I ready? Okay. And if the answer is a no, then I go, ah, Rick, come on. You can do better. Let's get that routine down. Let's focus. Let's do the things necessary. But if I can honestly say I was committed to the shot, then it is a physical thing. Right. And then it's fine to say, ah, dang it, got the club face closed again. That's right. Let's, let's keep that club face square as I come through. It doesn't mean we fix the shot, but I'm trying to process it so I can get back to neutral for the next shot. So I think some people, they, we don't manage our emotions. We don't manage our confidence level because we never do a post-shot routine. We never learn from it. We're very, we're very easy to jump to self-critical and judgmental voices right, for sure. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> but we don't, we don't learn. So that's in the moment we want to learn from the shot so it doesn't stay with us. And then we have to go back to the pre-shot routine is what's in my control for this particular shot, what's, what's relevant, and then we talk about ways that, that could help us, our confidence for the next shot. Rick, a lot of amateurs go through a lot of the things that you're going through. Maybe they don't retain it as well as some of your pros do, but it seems that when we get into a state of not doing very well, the ball's going left, we thought it was going to go right, that we become faster. We lose our tempo, we lose our focus because we've lost confidence in our own selves. Um, sure. Um, so I think that there's two things. One is back to the response of when a shot does go uh, it does not match your expectation. How do you deal with that? So we already talked about post-shot routine. It's a way to learn and neutralize that. And then if we go into confidence, where does confidence come from? And in the moment, uh, as I'm prepping for in my pre-shot routine, confidence is a choice, yet a lot of people's confidence is very fragile, and it was only affected by the last shot they hit. So if it was a poor shot that they hit, then, of course, their confidence uh, goes down and they have doubts. So we have to look at, in a pre-shot routine, why do we do a pre-shot routine? And most people will say, because I've been told to do one. It's like, well, no, <laughs> right. you, you want to prepare yourself to hit a great golf shot. 
And part of that could be going through a routine to make a good decision based on your strengths. It could be to visualize success. It could be to have positive self-talk. It could be to remember past great shots you've hit that were similar. It could be to simplify a swing thought. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do in that 15 to 25 second range that will shift what you're focusing on and uh, that could, which in turn shifts your confidence level. But if things are going sideways um, and we've made double bogey after double bogey, most people don't have plan B. And what I mean by plan B is do you have an, a, a second type of swing? Now, this is not a more complicated swing. It's actually do you have a shot that you are more confident with? So, for instance, if, all, if I, my game's going off the rails, I will purposely hit fades off the tee. Now, it's not my preferred shot, but I know it's going to fade. Right. Or in, the, in a uh, approach shot, I will take an extra club and swing three-quarter. So I'm not trying to force anything. So that right. would be plan B now is that I take extra club, swing three-quarter. That helps me feel more comfortable that I don't have to hit a perfect shot, that I have plenty of club. So those are the things is we have options. Uh, I think some people just keep beating their head against the wall over and over again. Um, and, and one, they don't change their routine and they don't change their mindset. They don't change breathing patterns. They, there's a lot of things that we could do, um, but most people just remain uh, frustrated for the rest of the day. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we all would like to change. How did you become working with Colin Marikawa? Yeah, it's a great story. Um, I was uh, already an established teacher here in the Los Angeles area, and I was t- teaching a lot of junior golfers. And one day, I guess it's now 17 years ago, he was eight years old, him and his father walked up to me at the end of the range where I was teaching and, and asked if, hey, um, if I had any openings that they, uh, his father, Blaine, said, hey, would you, would you mind working with my son? Do you have time? And I, I, I watched him hit a few balls, and I could see already he had some very good hand-eye coordination um, and such. And I said, yeah, I, I would love to. And so because I work with so many competitive juniors, um, it fit just perfectly. Yes, he had talent and stuff, but as many as us know, talent only gets you so far. And so from the age of eight uh, through the age of 18, I would see him once a week uh, for a golf lesson. Wow. And most, most of our golf lessons were done on the golf course, so about 70% of our lessons were done in a playing, uh, playing lesson environment. I, I stress playing over trying to get a perfect golf swing. Um, and – you know, through college, of course, he's at, he's at Cal up, up Northern California, and I'm here in Southern California, and we didn't get to see each other as much. But we would talk after every single tournament. I would see him on his breaks. You know, I would maybe go see him at a college event. And then when he turned pro, of course, I, I travel with him, you know, maybe every other event, and we certainly connect with each other every few days. And, and so it, it's been an awesome journey, uh, awesome relationship. He's He's – very special in that from a student standpoint, he was extremely coachable, always had a great attitude, always wanted to learn, never made excuses. So it was kind of a dream setting to have somebody who was talented, who had a great work ethic and just a great attitude week in and week out. Yeah. Was the slow backswing, was that always there or is that something you and he worked on? So each, when I'm, you know, I'm a swing coach also, it's like when you you have a, uh, everybody has different personality types, right? And if you get to know Colin, he's a very steady individual, very calm individual. So that, that if we can call it deliberate or smooth takeaway, kind of matched his personality, right? But mm-hmm. I've had some high-level players who 
uh, were a little quicker uh, in everything they did and a little more aggressive and stuff like that, that that tempo would not work well for them. So right. I kind of match that a little bit. It's something that evolves, I think, uh, as he gets bigger and stronger and and uh, it, it evolves and you, you find out what works, right, and what can still work under pressure. And I think we've found a pretty good formula right now. Yeah, I think you definitely have. Uh, he's got some more wins in him. Uh, the Ryder Cup with him and the other young guys uh, looks like it's going to be great for the U.S. for quite a while. Definitely. A lot, a lot of fun to, to be able to him, see him perform um, at a very high level in so many different situations. I mean, now he has won, you know, obviously won the, uh, the race to Dubai, the DP World, which was, you know, obviously overseas. He's now won the Open Championship overseas. He's won on, you know, he's won in California at the PGA. He's won in Florida. So it, it's great to see his game travels well and adapts to the conditions. And the Ryder Cup was awesome being a team environment and, and some different pressures, but uh, he thrives uh, in those situations. Well, Rick, I know you've got a lot to do, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Thank you for being with us on the Back Nine Boys Show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much. That's Rick Sessinghouse, uh, Colin Marikawa's coach, who believes that we must have a pre-shot routine and prepare ourselves for a good shot. He says confidence is a choice. After the break, we're going to talk with former PGA Tour caddy and now NBC golf announcer John Wood. But would you decide right now what you're going to have for dinner? Try CJ's Italian Restaurant. Have the kids with you. We'll ask for some pizza doughs that they can play with. Check out the monthly specials created by the local elementary schools. And part of the proceeds goes back to the schools if you order one of those pizzas. And you know CJ's is known for their deep dish. It is just incredible. So is their thin crust. So is their cauliflower crust. It is just incredible. Mouth-watering as I speak. They make their own pizza doughs, bread, sauces, dressing, topping, meatballs, lasagna, and that list goes on and on. Check out the full menu. They open at 4.30 at cjsitalianrestaurant.com. Hey, this is Bo Van Pelt from the PGA Tour, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys. Welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. We're glad that you are with us, taking a little bit time out of your Saturday morning, and we're also thankful that uh, John Wood, who's caddied for many years, for some, like Matt Kuchar, Hunter Mahan, also in the Ryder Cups, President's Cubs, we just want to say good morning. Hey, John, how are you? I'm great, Rich. How are you? Thanks for being with us. Uh, you've been kind of traveling quite a bit, haven't you? I have been. Luckily, I'm home now, but uh, yeah, NBC had a big stretch, uh, which ended last week in San Antonio. Right. Uh, now CBS takes over for a while, and um, I'm home to watch the Masters from my couch. You betcha. So what do you do on these breaks? I mean, you know, it's like every week you're in a different city, different tournament. You know, you got to look at all the things, walk around the course and everything. So what do you do during your breaks? You know, it's funny. Um, I, I travel so much for work. I don't travel a whole lot when I have time off. I like to be home. Um, I, I do a lot of outdoor stuff. I will go to Yellowstone or Joshua Tree. Um, I like to stay home and play music a lot, um, hang around with my friends who I don't get to see a ton um, just because I'm on the road so much. So I've got things to keep me busy. Yeah. Just starting to, just starting to play golf again. So if you're on the left side of the fairway, you might need to start watching out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Got to ask you this. I mean, you've been doing this announcing for a while, and that Bones, you know, kind of comes back every now and then uh, when he has a break with JT. But how do you like now moving up a little bit as far as doing more announcing? Do you enjoy that more than uh, carrying a bag? Uh, 
tough to say more, but I'm really enjoying it right now. It was the right decision for me at the time. Um, I love caddy and I miss it, um, especially weeks like this at the Masters. Right. But, um, um, I'm having a great time doing what I'm doing now. And uh, unless a 20 year old Tiger Woods gives me a call in the next uh, couple of years, I think I'll, I'll keep on doing this. Well, that was my next question. <laughs> that desire to get back inside the ropes, carry a bag, it would kind of depend like Bones with JT. Right. It, I mean, I don't see anybody right now um, that I would leave this for. Like I said, I'm, I'm committed to, to NBC and Golf Channel and I'm having a great time doing it. Um, you know, and if something were to were to happen like uh, a JT situation, you know, uh, difficult to say. But I, I think I'm pretty happy doing this right now and, and I'm going to stick it out. Yeah. Plus, you got some breaks in there. So it's not like you're gone 52 weeks out of the year or 39 or whatever. Absolutely. All right, you've caddied and uh, you've seen a lot of golf so far this year. You ended last week, San Antonio. Uh, so far this season, who has surprised you with their performance? Well, I mean, this is so easy to say, but Scotty Scheffler. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, a, few, a few months ago, he had uh, no wins, and now he's got three wins. Uh, he's number one in the world, and he's leading the Masters by five shots. So, uh, pretty good uh, adding to his resume in the last few months. Um, Rory has surprised me a little bit. I, I felt like he was going to come out uh, a little hotter this year, which hasn't happened yet. He's still got plenty of time, obviously. Uh, but but uh, Scheffler is the biggest surprise, I, I would say, to everybody in the golf world. So what's changed for him? I mean, Ryder Cup, no wins. Since then, three. I mean, some pretty good wins, and he's now leading the Masters. So is he overlooked, or do people think, oh, I don't think he can do you know four out of six, but he's in a good position. Yeah, I don't think I think everybody knew he was good. Obviously his his um finishes were were saying that it just he hasn't won yet. Um when you take the lid off sometimes with a player of that caliber and that talent all of a sudden the mental block is gone. Can I win out here? Well, now he knows he can. Right. The other thing I think that happened was um you'd be amazing what those 6 days in the team room at a Ryder Cup does to you when you are amongst your peers, guys who have have huge careers who uh, are definitely past you at the moment. But when you're in that room, you spend the week and you see, hey, I'm playing great. I'm, I'm beating them in practice rounds. I'm getting points for the team. I belong here. Um, physically, I bet he hasn't changed a single thing. It's just all of a sudden mentally, I can do this. This is where I belong. And um, just he's going to keep doing it. Well, we all know that confidence is a key. When you go up to a ball or you look at a ball and you say, oh, I can, you know, I can do that. But it seems at the level that these guys are at, confidence like with Harris English. I mean, the confidence was built back into him by Justin Parsons and, you know, and Harris. But it seems Scotty's now got that confidence like not only can I win, but I can be like Tiger. I'm going out to win everything I can. Yeah, that's exactly right. He's such a good guy and so, um, so unimpressed by himself. He's uh he's just a normal guy, and now that he knows this, he's he, I don't think his humility is going to go anywhere, but his inner confidence, and he's just going to say, like you said, I can beat everybody every week. Um, and obviously, the other thing that's been talked about a lot is is his new caddy. His old caddy, Scott McGinnis, is a really good caddy. Um, I think sometimes you know relationships just just run their course, and um, we brought in Teddy. Teddy is just he, he checks all the boxes to me for a great caddy. Right. He's calm. He's been through every situation. He's won in every situation. 
He's funny when he needs to be. He's not afraid to get in your face when you need to. Um, and he's just a fun guy to be around. And, you know, people, I think people would be surprised how important that is because you spend so much time around each other. If you don't like being in somebody's company, I don't care how good a caddy is. You're not going to have a, have a good, good time out there. So uh, Teddy checks all the boxes. And I think he and Scotty are just, just a great team. All right. You mentioned Rory. What do you think's going on? Do you think he's putting too much pressure on himself? I mean, I know driving is a big part of his game. And when that's off, it throws everything else off. You know, I, I don't know the talent. We've all seen the talent for so many years and, and, you know, he'll have these stretches where you're like, how does this guy not win eight times a year? Right. And then he'll have other stretches where you're like, um, man, can he hit the screen with a nine iron? It's right. a little, it's crazy because he is so talented and such a good guy and works hard. You just expect, um, he may be a, a victim of his own success. You know, that early on in his career, winning four majors right out of the hopper, you'd think, man, this guy's going to get eight, nine, 10. Um, but it, he, he amongst, he among many show how hard it is to win out here, especially majors. Yeah. And he seems to, um, overthink or maybe over prepare for some of the majors knowing like the masters, for example. I mean, that's the only one he doesn't have. And it's one that got away from him a few years ago. And, uh, sometimes even though you have the game, which we all know he does, he just may overthink it or put too much pressure on himself. Yeah. I mean, who, who's to say if he's overthinking, I don't know. That's very possible. But I think once you, um, you know, when everybody tells you you, sh you should win this tournament a few times right? and year after year after year, you haven't done it, that pressure starts amping up. And every year it's just a little bit more. I think you saw it with Phil at U.S. Opens. You know, he just, you know, hadn't won a U.S. Open in every year. It's, is this the one? Is this the one? And uh, it just puts a lot of pressure on you. Yeah. Is today the day? Well, anyway. All right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. Uh, all right. What's going on with Ricky Fowler? I mean, Boy. it just seems to be, I mean, Obviously, here's another guy. I mean, he's got the game. He's, you know, tried to change clubs, had, you know, Cobro come out with some new ones for him. What's going on? Oh, man, I wish I knew because I could probably, probably make a lot of money in golf if I knew. Right. Um, I, I, funny enough, you say that. I, I watched Ricky on the range warm up in San Antonio on Friday, and it looked fantastic. I mean, Rich, every shot was, you know, cutting two or three yards in a perfect window. They were solid. Um, it didn't look like he was searching at all. And, um, you know, it, it goes to the course and, and it's not the same shot. It's not the same, you know, Ricky, we got so used to seeing for so many years. Um, and I think it, his putting, he used to be, you know, he, to me, he used to look a lot like Cameron Smith does now, you know, right. so natural, so easy, walk up, take a look and roll it in the middle. Right. Well, we all, we all know it's not that easy, but for so long for Ricky, it was, and now those putts aren't necessarily going. Um, so, you know, it's just, a it becomes a mental battle kind of like Jordan last year. Um, is he close to coming over the, over the hump and getting back to the player? We all know, I, you know, tough to say. And, um, but like they said on the air yesterday, everybody out here is, is four days away. So it's not like, um, you think it's never going to come back four days from, you know, next week, if, if Ricky's playing, you know, next Sunday, we might right. say, well, he's back. Here we go. So, right. um, it's just tough to say. And with Ricky, I just, I, the results haven't come, but, uh, physically he looks great to me. Bryson, what is going on with, uh, mm -hmm. the science guy? Well, I, personally, my opinion is I don't know how long you can work your body that hard and expect it to keep coming back and doing the same thing. Yeah. 
Um, it, it's just, boy, he just works it so hard in both practice and working out. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's tough to say that he's, he's hurt all the time because of that, but it certainly looks like that. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that style of play and that style of treating your body might, might result in, you know, higher peaks, but shorter careers. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think that's a, a, a very, very valid point. Uh, I obviously want to talk to you about Phil. I mean, Phil's been MIA. Um, what do you think is going on and what do you think is in the future for Phil as far as playing again? Uh, boy, I think your guess is as good as mine. You know, he's just, he's disappeared. And, and I don't think anybody uh, outside of his very close team knows what's going on and, and what the future holds. He will be back at some point, And I hope, uh, you know, Oh, listen, I, I don't like what Phil said about the PGA Tour. Right. I'm friends with Phil. I don't like anything about what he said. I don't like this, you know, where the money comes for this new tour uh, comes from. Um, and, I, you know, I wouldn't want to be a part of it. But I hope if Phil can come back to the PGA Tour, people can kind of look back on what he's actually done in his career and not just this one thing. Um, here's a guy who signs more autographs than any any other five players combined. He doesn't leave every day until everybody who wants an autograph has one. Um, he's been extremely generous in his career to, to everybody around him. Um, so, I, you know, I think he really messed this one up. I mean, I'd tell, tell that to his face, but uh, I, I hope people don't look at it, his whole career and his whole legacy as this one thing, because there's been so much good uh, up till now. Yeah. And I'd heard a quote from Gary player saying that he thinks that the media has just been unfair with Phil. Um, uh, but again, I think Phil put himself in a situation that, uh, he didn't think was going to get this much out of hand. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Rich. I, I just, I, I don't think the media, I mean, the, the media is what it is and I'm part of it now, but they're not telling any lies. They may be on him a little bit, but, uh, you know, they're not making stuff up. This is stuff that he said. So I think he'll, come back and take responsibility for it. And, uh, you know, hopefully people can forgive him. And I know this is a next question, but you know, there was rumors that he was going to be the, when it, the Ryder cup comes back to the U S that he was going to have a chance to be the captain. Uh, do you think he's ruined those chances or do you think that's still a possibility? And I know it's a guess. I, you know, who knows yeah. what's going to happen. I think it's still a good chance. He'll be a captain. I think a lot of it, some of it probably depends on how he does come back. Um, if, if he shows some contrition and, and, and uh, remorse for what he did, I think that would go a long way. Um, you know, if he, if he doesn't, if he digs his heels in and still feels like he wants to go to this new, new tour or um, who knows what, um, I think then his captaincy could be um, in some trouble. Yeah, I think if he comes back contrite, I think he, he's still a captain. Yeah, I think if he does play that new tour, I think Ryder Cup captain is out the window. I, I agree. Do you think he would play the new tour? I don't know. I just, I don't yeah, know, Rich. Just, I, yeah. I, um, at this point, I don't think so, but I, I have no information to base that on. It's a guess. Yeah. And he surprised everybody by what he said about the tour being excessively right. greedy when he's won $800 million from playing on the PGA tour from not only his winnings, but also sponsors. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, yeah. It's a guess. We want to talk a little bit more about a guy named Tiger. 
which I'm sure you expected an answer or a question about. And we'll be back with uh, John Wood, NBC announcer. More on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Stay with us. Hi, this is Nick Faldo, and you are listening to Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And welcome back. Uh, we're on the phone with uh, John Wood all the way in California. Again, thank you for getting up. Uh, John, NBC announcer, uh, former caddy. But let's talk a little bit about a guy named Tiger who a lot of people uh, 14 months ago never thought would be in the position that he is today. Uh, I'm speechless, obviously, <laughs> you can tell. Um, it's just remarkable. I, I, I've learned long time, a long time ago never to doubt this guy or yeah. never to think something's beyond his reach because uh, there's a superhuman effort in, in his heart that um, nobody else matches. And um, you think about 14 months ago, we're, we think there's a good chance that we, we might not have Tiger anymore right. in any way. Um, for him to be playing in the Masters and being competitive – at this point, it's just, what do you do? You just continue shaking your head and you add it to the long list of how did he do that? Yeah, and every tournament that he's in, it becomes Tiger TV, which is obviously good for ratings. I mean, it's, you know, but is it fair to the other players who are playing well or in the hunt for the TV uh, and Tiger? I mean, do you think they don't resent him on the golf course because he's there, do they? No, no way. Just the opposite. I think it probably helps some guys that so much attention is, is on Tiger. You look at Scotty Scheffler coming in this week. Um, he's number one in the world. He's won three events very recently. Um, and if, if someone can do that under the radar, he's done it because of Tiger. Yeah. Um, and I think it, you know, every, I don't think anybody dislikes playing with Tiger. He's a wonderful guy to play with. He's a wonderful guy to have around. And if uh, there's just if you don't want your sport to have the worldwide buzz that it does when Tiger Woods shows up, then, you know, you should probably find something else to do because he pushes the needle like nobody else comes close to. Yeah, it's pretty similar to what I remember of Michael Jordan playing basketball. Mm -hmm. I mean, whenever he was on TV, whenever their game was, you know, being televised, you had a chance to go and MJ was there. It's like, man, you got to go see this guy. Uh, no question. That's a, that's a great analogy. And it's the exact same thing. Um, if I see tiger doing any, if I'm flipping channels and I see tiger, I'm stopping. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the bottom line. Even if he's on crutches. Right. It, you know, <laughs> exactly right. Um, you know, I was saying, you know, this off season, I said, I wonder what golf channels ratings would be if we just had a, a live camera on Tiger's range. Oh, yeah. That's all. All day. That was an option. Uh -oh. I think, the, I think the people would watch it all day long. Yeah, but that's what NBC is going to do now that you offered this <laughs> suggestion. You know that. I'll take it. Yep. Do you think Tiger would ever, or Phil, do you think he'll go back? Let's just make it one question. think Tiger would ever play the Champions Tour? The only thing I could see Tiger doing is playing and winning a U.S. Senior Open. So he could have all of them. Yeah, be the first one to have a junior, an am an open and a senior am. Yeah. Uh, but I, as far as being a regular fixture out there, especially now with his physical limitations, right. I, I would seriously doubt it. Yeah. I think he'd overpower the, the tour anyway, if he, if he did based on how he's going to feel after these four days. But yeah, um, there's another name, Tiger Woods coming up as a possible Ryder cup captain. Um, uh, that may be some competition for Phil in 2025 may have to wait till 2027. Who knows? Yeah, I think Tiger has his pick, you know. I yeah. think uh I think Tiger says this is the one I want to do or these are the two I want to do and and you have to give him whatever he wants. I mean, he's just been that important to golf over the years. Um 
I could kind of see Tiger being an overseas captain, and I don't think he would mind that um, just because we haven't won over there in so long. He would love the challenge. Um, and you'd be amazed when you go overseas to an away game, if you have a popular captain, um, it kind of pumps your team up a little bit. It happened yeah. in Australia when we had Fred as a president's cup. Um, everybody kind of, Oh, it's Fred. Well, you, you know, these can't, can't be bad guys. So uh, I could, I could really see Tiger being an overseas captain. How do you think Zach will do as an overseas captain uh, based on the performance, the team that he's got? I mean, you know, from the Ryder cup, you've still got Scheffler, you've still got Morikawa, you got, you know, all these guys that, just overpowered at whistling straights. Yeah, I, I mean, he Zach has to be loving uh, his hand right now. Yeah. Um, when, when Dustin Johnson is the old man on your team, I think you're you're in pretty good shape. Um, and I think Zach Zach will check all the boxes. He's a great guy. He's organized. He's fun to be around. Um, but when it comes time to to let go of the reins, he'll have no problem doing that and say, "Go get him, boys." I think. Zach will be a phenomenal captain. Yeah, it's kind of like in a poker game, and he's been dealt, uh, you know, a full house right off the bat. I mean, he doesn't yeah. even want to take a draw at that point. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I'm, I'm sure when we, you know, they go over there into in Rome for the next Ryder Cup, that um, I'm sure that course will be prepared much like it was in Paris, much tighter, yeah. deep, thick, rough um, things that kind of take our the U S strengths away from them a little bit, yeah. but um, I, I think, uh, I think Zach may be a little bit firmer in saying, guys, you have to hit higher and off this tee. What do you, you know, we, we can't hit driver. We right. need to do this. And, um, and I, I just, um, the talent on the U S team coming up and what's there now is just so overwhelming. It's going to be, I don't care how you set the course up. It's going to be a tough team to beat. Yeah, it is. It is for quite a while, I think as yeah. well. Um, yeah. All right. I hear the guys on NBC calling you Woody. Although you have down as your nickname is Woodmont. So <laughs> tell me the any, story. Any form of wood you can think of. That's, <laughs> I've been called that over the years. So uh, I'll answer to any of them. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great. And you said also that your favorite course is Augusta. I mean, obviously, why? But um, it's just an unbelievable walk, whether you're there as a, as a patron or whether you're there as a caddy it's hard to describe how perfect that place is. It really is every year. You know, I haven't gone the last couple of years, which has been unfortunate, but every year you go, you just like, I can't believe how perfect this is. And you know, every change they make, unlike a lot of places we go, when Augusta makes a change, it's always for the better. I've never seen them make a change and go that bad. That's not, it's not better. It was better boy. I was before. They're so meticulous. They have control of everything, which I know helps. Um, and they're smart and they, they know, they know exactly how they want to set up their tournament and their course and, uh, they get it done every year. Yep. John, thank you enough. I always, when we get done with our interview, I say, I've got more to do, but we'll do it again when you have another break. Whenever you want, Rich, I, it's my, my pleasure. All right, John Wood, thank you for being with us. Uh, former caddy, now NBC announcer. Uh, it's just great to have him on the show. Want to thank all of our other guests, uh, Jeremy Fryman from the GSGA and then also Rick Sessinghouse, Colin Marakawa's coach. Thank you for listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show right here on ESPNCoastal.com. Check us out. We're here every Saturday and Sunday from 8 to 9. You've been listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show with Rick Stiles. Go to BackNineBoys.com for all things golf whenever you want it. We'll be back next week with an all-new Back Nine Boys at BackNineBoys.com.